Welcome to Truth for Transformation with Timothy Brown. Timothy is the lead pastor of Arden First Baptist Church in Arden, North Carolina. Our mission is to lead ordinary people into extraordinary life in Christ. We pray that today's message inspires you to live an extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. Check out our website for more inspiring resources, ArdenFBC.com. Now, here's today's message from Pastor Timothy Brown. Thank you. Joe's found his calling. He's really good, isn't he? What a wonderful time of worship. Let's give praise to the Lord Jesus again for that, and, and thanks to our friends for leading us. I'm going to borrow that back and stick this on here. Be easier. And I, let me welcome you first to the church. And uh, I feel like this is my church, and I'm just glad to see so many familiar faces today. My good friend John is here. We've been down so many trails together. And uh, Pastor, if you're seeing John, I want you to note him and grab him before he gets out of here today. He, uh, John, in his long history, has had history here at the church. And a uh, wonderful uh, deacon previously at the church, and I just I salute them. And all the wonderful folks I'm seeing again today, just great to be back. You know, ever since I understood that the young Timothy Brown was coming to this church, I have been excited about the First Baptist Church of Arden. And I have been able to watch it a little bit from afar and have some time with Timothy. But I love this church and I love what you're doing. One of the last times I was in this room, I was here when they were laying the carpet and just rejoicing in the uh, renovations you've done here. I see these beautiful new chairs and downstairs, beautiful. Every way you turn, something new and fresh about this church. And I just want to salute uh, Pastor Timothy, uh, Joe Perry, of course, Amy. I've seen Susan today, your whole staff and wonderful folks. And the music's incredible. Lenny, my goodness, Lenny played, he played the death out of that thing, didn't he? That was great. And I met him for the first time today. Well, it's a privilege for me to share these moments with you today. And I'm looking forward to what God is going to say through his word. Take your Bibles and find Acts chapter 2. And I didn't know that Timothy was going to be in the service today. I, t- <laughs> I told the first service, well, I'll probably say some things Timothy wouldn't say today. And uh, now that he's here, I better watch what I'm going to say, right? No. I, uh, sometimes, you know, when a, a visitor comes in, uh, they can bring a, a different approach sometimes to things. And I want to jar you a little bit today with a message that has been in the works in my life for so many years. Uh, like Timothy, I grew up in the church. My father was a pastor. And when I saw Timothy's mom and dad today in the first service, it reminded me, as I tell you every time I stand here, that I owe so much to the Brown family. My very first job in high school was working for Timothy's grandfather at a shoe store in Mount Airy. And uh, you know, say what you will about seminary education, the best job I ever had to prepare me for the church was selling women's shoes. It was actually the best thing. You know, you bring all the shoes out and then they don't want anything that you brought out. That's just, you know how it is. You put it all back. And one thing that Timothy's grandfather taught me, which has stayed with me the rest of my life, that, John, this is such a great truth. Uh, I hadn't been there more than a couple days when I was working and... Um, Mr. Brown came out and such a fine, he was a deacon in our church, so I loved him very deeply. And uh, he brought, he had a, a cloth in his hand. And this, this, is such, this is such good advice for anybody. He said, David, he said, um, while you're standing here waiting for the next group of people to come in, he said, I want you always busy. So he handed me a cloth and he said, so if there's no customer, dust. He said, 
Put the stock back in. Straighten everything up. Always be busy. Well, you know, in that moment I'm thinking, wow. But that has stayed with me the rest of my days. Be busy at the task. There was no wasted energy working for Mr. Brown and should not be any wasted energy here in the church as well. Well, let's pray today and ask the Holy Spirit to take the next few minutes and drive supernaturally into our hearts the theme, How to Build a New Testament Church. How to Build a New Testament Church. Father in heaven, thank you for the wonderful worship, the joy of seeing friends and fellowshipping in this very special place. We love this church. Delighted to see your hand on it, Father, and pray for its future, its pastor and leadership here, that you will so empower this church to be a lighthouse right here on this very busy uh, section of a roadway called Sweeten Creek. I thank you for where you've placed them. And I ask you, Father, to take this message today and move our hearts to be different than we've ever been. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, from up here, you all look so good today to me. Would, would you turn to your neighbor and say, you look good, how do I look? Would you do that right now? Say, you look good, how do I look? All right. In Washington Irving's great literary masterpiece that we all learned, especially in high school, he wrote about a man called Rip Van Winkle. Mr. Winkle, as you remember the story, fell asleep in the Catskill Mountains of New York, and he slept for 20 years. And when he awakened... Uh, suddenly so much had changed. He went to sleep when they were fighting a revolutionary war for the independence of this country. And when he awakened 20 years later, the fledgling colonies had become the United States of America. Mr. Van Winkle had slept through a revolution. Now, that has significance for us today. My challenge this morning is simply this. I don't want this church... You people, me, Pastor Timothy, to sleep through the revolution that's going on all around us. Every way we look, the church is being buffeted. Culture is pushing against us and trying to cancel the Word of God. We drove in today and in today and passed a number of subdivisions and housing units. And as I came up Sweeten Creek, I prayed for the church this morning and but I realize just looking around, there's so many more people who are not here than are here. In many ways, there is a revolution going on all around us. And the church sometimes can be indifferent. And one day wake up to find we're irrelevant. Something is happening, though, in this church. Every time I come, I see something new. Whether it's paint, or new seats, or new people, fresh worship. Today was a perfect example of Joe's leadership and, and, and our wonderful guest that we had with us. This, the worship was magnificent. And I loved everything about it, including the reading of Scripture. But there's something special going on here in this church. You're reawakening your 60-year history into building strong pillars of discipleship and prayer and missions and evangelism. But I, I want to challenge you today not to waste any hour in terms of irrelevance, for the world is exploding around us. Listen to these statistics that I found this week. Do you know that every day in the world, every single 24-hour period, that there are 385,000 babies born in our world? Now, the Brown family, of course, has precipitated, uh, precipitated in that. 
How many children do they have now? Five? I love it. But every day in the world, 385,000 babies are born. Every 24-hour period, 153,000 people die. Most of those people die around the world not knowing Jesus Christ. In the last year that we have full records in our Southern Baptist churches, of which you're part, we baptized in 2020 only 125,000 people across the United States. That means for every church we have more than 40,000 churches. On average, they only baptize three new converts. Most churches baptize none. Other churches baptize many. Our international mission work accounted for another 85,000 conversions. For the year 2020, that's only 200,000 people converted through the work of Baptist churches. That's not enough. Our Baptist work in the world does not yield enough conversions to cover the first day of every year. Do you know in the United States, which is one of the most Christian-formed nations in all the world, one out of every three persons today does not identify as a Christian. Now, that means that two out of every three people do. But that's a broad definition. I passed a church today on Sweeten Creek who considers themselves to be Christians, but by their theology, they are not. You know the church I'm speaking of, the Mormon church. So in that definition, when two out of three people identify with the Christian church, many of them are really not Christian. But one out of every three people definitely says we're not Christian. More people today rise up and say we have no faith than ever before. Well, at this rate, at the rate you and I baptize new believers, it will take us hundreds of years to win the world to Christ, provided no one is born again. So what does it mean for the church? What does it mean for First Arden? To talk about statistics like this. This message today is a call to remember the reason the church is here. Now there was, of course, a dream, a vision some 60 years ago. When another church gave birth to this church in what must have been a growing part of Buncombe County at the time. Probably somewhat rural. Sweeten Creek, a two-lane road then, still is today. One day we hope it's a four-lane But the vision of this church originally was put here to win people to Christ. There's two reasons, really, for the existence of every church. You saw it today. Number one, the most important reason for the church is to give glory to Almighty God. We did that through the wonderful worship today that we experienced. But there's a second absolute necessary reason. The New Testament calls it sharing the faith. The reason this church exists, not only to give glory to God and to worship Him, but to bring others to know Him. Now, in those two twin pillars on which the church rests, we do everything else. Fellowship, missions, prayer, youth ministry, working for social justice as we can, working against racial insensitivity as we must, all those things important. But the real work of the church is to win boys and girls and men and women to know Him. So how can the First Baptist Church of Arden, with its magnificent history, its beautiful future, be a church in which 
It is both Bible-believing and Christ-honoring and winning people to know Him. Put it another way. If every member of First Baptist Church, Arden, was just like you, what kind of church would this be? If every person in this church was like you, what outreach would there be? Let's see what the Bible demands today. We open the pages of the New Testament to the book of Acts. One of my favorite books in all the Bible. It's back to the future, friends, this morning. So grab hold of your seats and get a hold of your neighbor. We're going on a journey, a quick journey, but a wonderful journey. The church. When it was built over a hundred years ago for an international exposition, the structure was considered monstrous by local residents. They demanded it be torn down as soon as it was built. And yet for the moment, from the very time it was conceived by the architect, he took pride in what was being built. And he defended it among those who wished to destroy it. He knew the structure was built for greatness. Today, it's still standing as one of the great architectural wonders of the modern world. And it's the primary landmark of Paris, France. The architect, of course, was a man named Eiffel. His tower was built in 1889, and it stands today. But so it is with the church in history. Jesus, her architect, has fiercely guarded the church. Though he's entrusted it to unlikely compatriots, his disciples, and in this generation, that means you and me. He who defended them, prayed for them, and prepared for them to preach the gospel, and look around, he's left that work today to each one of us in this room. And to those outside the church, outside of First Baptist Arden, the church looms as a monstrous creation, led by those who are often jeered and cursed. But Jesus knew, and he knows today, the church was created to be his bride, to do incredible work in his name, and the church marches on. We are still here. So we begin our march this morning in Acts at the point of Pentecost. There are three great redemptive moments in Scripture. God's redemptive plan for bringing men and women and boys and girls to know him. First was the creation of the world. Then, secondly, the advent of Jesus Christ, his arrival on earth. And, as we sang so beautifully today, his substitutionary death on the cross and his resurrection, which gives power to the church. But third, the third plan of God's redemption order in this world is the moment of Pentecost and the birth of the church. When you come to Acts chapter 2, we find that moment in church history. Jesus has ascended. The apostles began to preach. The Holy Spirit falls in power. And the church as we know it is birthed 2,000 years ago. And as we read here in a moment, we're going to find the outcome to that birthing. Outcome to that moment of Pentecost. And a clear reflection of what the First Baptist Church of Arden should be about. So we begin reading in verse 42. It's the end of chapter 2. The church is birthed, and here's what happens in the wake of that moment. These are exciting verses. Verse 42. This is speaking now of the church. And what is so interesting about this is that what happened in the early church should be no different than what happens today in the life of an evangelical, Christ-honoring, Bible-believing church. We should be doing the very same thing. You ready? Verse 42. 
They devoted themselves, they being the, the people in the church, those that were converted, the early church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, we'll stop there for a moment. The breaking of bread. I told the first worship period this morning that I almost got run over by the bread truck when I came in this morning, the lady pushing the bread. It was just wonderful, bringing the bread to church. And if there's anything that First Arden knows about, it's eating and sharing and eating bread. and carrying. It's wonderful. You do what the Bible says to do every Sunday when you come together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and in the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now we're going to stop there for a moment. How then do we build a New Testament incredible church? How should this church be positioned for its future? Oh, to be young again. I, uh, I see Timothy and I think, oh, it, it brings me back to my early days. I'll be 70 this year and I wish, sometimes I wish I had to do it all over again. And when I see Timothy and, and Joe and you know, if Joe, if Joe just had some enthusiasm, bless his heart, Joe Perry, just goodness sakes, build a fire under that kid. He's just so laid back. No, you, you have got something special with these two that are here. But how do you build a strong New Testament church? Let me give you five characteristics this morning. I want you to jot them down. you got a pencil. These are very easy. Uh, it's alliterated. Old-fashioned preaching today. I'm not a Timothy Brown with his doctorate. I'm an old-fashioned preacher today. I'm going to give you five key words, and I promise you'll never forget it. How do we build a New Testament church? Number one, invite. Verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. Invite. Outside of giving glory to God, I mentioned a moment ago, which is the prime reason we exist, beyond the winsome and wonderful worship we experience today, what are we commanded to do? What is the number one commandment on this church? We, we do it because it's why we exist. It's the salvation of people in Buncombe County and around the world. You know, there's a unique sweetness and incredible spirit and power to any church in which people are being converted and saved. I'm convinced that the next wave of power for this church lies, listen to this, lies in its baptistry. When people like you and I see people converted, there will be such joy in this place because it is the very reason we exist as a church. The power in the baptistry. For the key to the future success of First Arden as a body of Christ, is to sow down from top to bottom, side to side, program to program, a Christ-honoring concept of bringing people to know Him. John, we used to call it soul winning. It's simply sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with someone else who needs to know. There could not be a more urgent or poignant reason for being church. And this doesn't mean we negate discipleship or Bible study or counseling ministries or fellowship or social consciousness, no. But tying it all together, permeating every ministry and program out of this church ought to be the power of bringing people to know him. The Bible says they accepted his message and they were being converted. Invite. Now, I know I can't sing like Joe. I can't preach like Timothy. 
I sure can't decorate and have the gift of spiritual hospitality that Susan Brown has. I can't administer and care for people like Amy does. But I have something I can do in the life of this church, which is the very thing you can do. If you don't feel you've got any talents, but you do. If you don't feel like you have any spiritual gifting, but you do. Let me tell you the one thing every single one of us can do between now and next Sunday. Invite somebody to join you in church. That doesn't take a skill set other than a handshake and a smile. It means I care enough about someone else that I'll bring them to this church and invite them to come hear my pastor and hear my music minister. I want you to experience what First Arden is about. Would you come to church with me? Invite. Secondly, include. Again, Bible says in verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 people joined the church that day. Can you imagine? 3,000 people joining the church. Notice the Bible says that those who received the word of God were baptized. Baptism, of course, is a the public identification of a disciple with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. Notice the Bible says that those who were baptized were brought into the church. They were joined to the church. These new believers displayed their public identification with Jesus, baptized, and immediately joined the church, being enveloped into the church. See the words added to the church, verse 41. Now why we count people? We count people because people count. It's important for us to note these things. Here in the early church, people were thoroughly converted, filled with the Holy Spirit, accepted their place in the church, joined the fellowship of other believers, and were connected to the church. First Baptist Arden must assimilate people into the life of the church. No person should ever be able to wander in and out of this fellowship without being connected, without being welcomed and loved on and encouraged. I was talking with people after the service, the first service this morning, and one lady came to me and she said, you know, she said, David, you know what drew me to the church? What drew me to this church? And what happened when I came is that I was healed. I was loved. I was brought back into the kingdom. That's one testimony, Pastor. I was healed. We must assimilate people into the church. A family had gone to the movies one night, like we all do, and on the way in, the young father of the family stopped by the refreshment stand to pick up some refreshments for his family. By the time he got to the theater, it was dark. The previews were on. Lights were dim. He couldn't see. He he couldn't find his family. You know how it is if you ever go into a dark theater. He went down one aisle, went across, went up the other aisle, couldn't find him. He then walked back to the front and stood in front of the screen and he said this, Does anybody here recognize me? And of course the kids, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. Well, the whole point of that is, do I need to suggest that when a visitor comes in this place that you recognize them? When a new family steps in here for the first time with all their awkwardness in not knowing people, welcome them. When a stranger enters your gates, Welcome them. Does anybody recognize me? We must build structures in this church so that people can discover ways of connection and purpose in the church. 
I told the first service this morning about a friend of mine named Iris who came to Christ in the most unusual way. She had fallen into drugs and a deep addiction in her life. She had rejected the claims of Christ. And in order to fund her drug addiction, she took to the streets in prostitution. She was arrested time and time again. The final time, they put her in the county jail and they told her, Iris, you're not getting out for a while. You're incorrigible. There was a little Baptist deacon that would visit the county prison every Saturday. And when he'd come, he'd bring tracks. And the prisoners that, he, that would talk to him, he gave a track. The ones that wouldn't, he left a track. Iris would have nothing to do with it. One particularly difficult morning for her. She looked around that small cell that she was in and knowing that her life was anything but positive and was no joy in it, she, she found the track. And, and in reading the track, the Holy Spirit got a hold of her heart because it was simply the Word of God. And without anybody being there except the agency of the Holy Spirit, she was converted. And through tears... In her autobiography, she says this. She writes this incredible statement. She knew she was dirty. She knew she was sad. She knew she was ill. She knew she was a sinner. But she writes in her autobiography, in that moment of conversion, she said, I knelt down a tramp, but I stood up a lady. Because in the kneeling and standing, God had gotten a hold of her heart, and she was thoroughly converted. Through the providence of God, they let her out of jail. She finds her way to her home church the first Sunday to declare her profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Do you know what her church did? They scorned her. Your kind aren't welcome here, Iris. Your kind aren't welcome here. She and her boyfriend, who also was converted about the same time, went to three or four different churches, every church holding them back. In that moment of desperation and and hurt and heartache, they said, we're going to go back not only to where they know our name, but they care for us. You know where they went back to? The bar where they first met the bar and an adult establishment but it was there they found their friends but again through the providence of God people kept reaching out to her and finally she found a church to be included in I, I can't imagine anyone no matter what their background ever to be turned away from this church I can't imagine it it's not the Jesus thing to do In fact, I would tell you there's many irises out here. And when they find that this church is a place of acceptance, not of their sin, but of who they are, this is a place of healing. This is a place of restoration. This is a place to meet Jesus. This is a place to get your life turned around. I don't think you can keep them out of here. Include. Third, instruct. Verse 42 says they... Devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Oh, we could spend some time here. Devoted means they persisted in teaching. They continued in learning. 
Now, as I look around here today, I've got some folks that used to be in my Sunday school class, John included, others here. And um, I'm reminded of the fact that you have incredible life groups here. Every one of you should be involved in attending to the apostles' teaching so that you can grow. I give you my ad today, my publicity for life groups. Something powerful had happened to these people in the New Testament. The fire of God had fallen. The fresh wind of spirit was upon them. And they were being taught. They were like uh, sponges. The word of God, scriptures, doctrinal teaching, everything we need to know to live our life. Do you recall the early days of your conversion and what it meant to know Jesus when you took that first breath as a believer? The great commission of our Lord Jesus places a special emphasis on building disciples. We must instruct people. I love this, Pastor Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul asked Timothy to bring him books. Go back and read it sometime. In the latter part of his letter, he's in jail, and he tells Timothy, bring me books. (laughs) He didn't ask for tangerines. He didn't ask for food. He said, bring me books. Charles Haddon Spurgeon wrote about this, saying, Paul was inspired, yet he wanted books. He'd been preaching for at least 30 years, and he still wanted books. He had seen the Lord Jesus on the Damascus Road, and yet he wanted books. You and I in the church have lost the desire to learn about Jesus. It doesn't come simply by being in worship. You're hearing the great doctrinal preaching of your pastor. But where you really are instructed is in small group fellowship. We must instruct people. Fourth, involve. The Bible says they were committed to fellowship. Something unique marked the New Testament early church A love relationship between people. It ought to mark this church as well. This is what the Bible calls koinonia. We're free to love and to be loved by Him. Well, don't have time. Let me give you some ingredients for the church just quickly. For in the church, there must be great love for people. You know, in all my growing up years, the place where I was loved the most was church. Now, I had a wonderful mother and father who cared for me. When I came to church, I knew I had a dozen aunts and uncles. I knew I had people my age who loved me. It was an amazing thing. I still have in my library the books that people gave me, my early Bibles that were given to me by teachers and people that loved me. I had a, I had a Sunday school teacher as a young boy. who He, he wasn't educated. He, he, he didn't finish high school, but he knew the Bible And he loved boys and girls. And the way he just instructed us in the faith were things I've never forgotten. There was a great love. There was also great sacrifice. The Bible says that they join things together. Now, you read this, and with our eyes today, it looks as if it's socialism at some point. It is not that at all. It means that they simply shared great sacrifice. When somebody hurt, they all pitched in. I saw this not long ago in our Sunday school class. There was a single mother who came in. She had some children. She was down on her luck. She lost her job. And then her car quit working. I mean quit. It couldn't be fixed. You know what that Sunday school class did? They bought her a car. Now, a used car. 
But this was just a group in the church who came around a single young mother who needed help to get to work so she could form a living and earn a living to care for her children. They bought her a car. Now how does that happen except great love and great sacrifice? That's what ought to permeate this church. The spirit of love. There's also great unity in the early church as there is in this church. A spirit of togetherness. There was also great praise. Look at verse 47. It says they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And then there was great vision. You don't hurt for vision in this church. I've heard with Timothy where he's taking you. and I love it. Joe and others. There's great vision. They looked beyond themselves. So you invite. You instruct. You include and you then involve. And finally, here's the bottom line. Here's where we get to. Get ready. The final I increase. Again, think about this for a moment. We invite. We include. We instruct. We involve. And then we increase. Look at verse 47. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the natural result of Pentecost. This is the natural result of any church that puts Jesus' love first. You will increase. A church in which there are no baptisms. A church like that is a church in which God is not stirring. It is a church that's lost her way. Church growth should be happening as a direct byproduct of our happy, joyful Christian experience. You know why people don't come to church? You know why people are not attending church today? It's not so true of First Baptist Arden, but it is true of so many other churches I pass today. They're moribund. They're tired. There's no excitement. You have all the ingredients in this place of excitement. Look at your incredible worship. Look at your beautiful facilities. Look at your visionary pastor. There's no reason you can't grow. You just have to open the doors wider and say we're here. And when you come in from Sweeten Creek Road and turn into our parking lot, we're going to love you from the time you get here to the time you leave. And no matter what your background is, no matter what questions you bring, no matter what sin you're, you, you're, you're toying with, no matter the difficulty of your life, as soon as you come in this place, we're going to love you for Jesus' sake. Just think about it this morning. When you entered this building, there was no sin meter. You know, when you go to the airport, you have to go through the magnometers to let, you, let the TSA agent know you don't carry a gun. Well, you know, in the life of the church, there's no sin meter. <laughs> Because if there was, guess what? It'd beep on every single one of us, wouldn't it? And all we are are redeemed sinners. Because of where we've been, how can we not love a world that doesn't know Jesus yet? Oh, what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. I have light in my soul for which long I had sought. Since Jesus came into my heart. What a difference we can make 
in Buncombe County. I read an interesting illustration this week as we close. Prince Philip, of all people, hosted a gathering in the 1980s in Britain. The reason for the gathering, he brought some social workers and others together, educational leaders, to determine why crime was rampant among those who were 12 to 17 years of age. They were grappling with the struggle of youthful detention and youthful disobedience. All the learned people went around first to give their answers to what they thought would be the remedy. More education, more opportunity. You go a whole list of what you call progressive thinking. But then the prince turned to one man who was an historian. And he said to him, what would you do? He said, well, sir, I'll tell you exactly what to do. And he had in his hand statistics that showed in the period of the 1800s that when they had a similar problem, they came together and decided, listen to this, to build Sunday schools for children. And he had the historical records to show that as English churches built Sunday schools and programs for children and youth, that the crime statistics went down. Only did it go back up again when the church was neglecting that very same focus. I'll tell you what to do. Build a Sunday school and teach children and young people the way of truth. As we know, it's not simple today. As we know, we have a culture pressing against us to cancel us out. We have such difficulties in our political and fellowship discourse within the city. We understand all of that. But we still have the answer. It's Jesus Christ. And if we can change one child's life for the better, do you know that has ripple effects for that child's eventual family and for the good of Buncombe County? Oh, to see people come to know Jesus. That's why you're here. Let's pray together. Our Father, we love you and thank you for this reminder straight from your book that if there's anything more important for the church to do, I don't, we don't know what it is, to share Jesus with the world, to get outside these four walls and go down Sweeten Creek and up into these communities and begin to invite people to come to church and to listen to the preaching and to engage in the love and the fellowship that occurs here, to pick up some of that Panera bread and to have fellowship around tables. Oh, so many people are hurting for that connection, Father. Help us even this afternoon as we go that we can share Jesus with how we talk, how we look, how we act. (laughs) Help us to bring people to know you by having lives that are winsome sweet and loving. We can start there. There's not one of us in this room that can't do that. And then help us to build the structures and the vision for what is necessary at First Arden here to see people come to know you and to stir those baptismal waters. And all the rest of the book of Acts will follow in this church and there'll be great joy in our fellowship through Jesus Christ our Lord.